From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord, publishers and ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, with Tennessee and the world at heart, this is Making a Difference, and I'm Dr. Shelton Smith. Well, it's Monday again, and we welcome you, and I hope that you'll join us every day, all week long, right here, five days on this station, and we look forward to having some good things for you. We've been now for several days working through Psalm 37, just an enormous amount of good, solid Bible truth, and one piece at a time, we're getting hold of it, and I hope it's being a help to you. Now, I want to also announce before I read the text for today that uh, this summer, July 17 through 20, we'll be at the Walkertown, North Carolina Gospelite Baptist Church for the National Sword of the Lord Conference, and that is a wonderful, wonderful four days. And everybody is invited. We want you to come bring your family, bring folks from your church, see to it that your pastor and staff get to come, all of those things. No registration fees. Every seat is a free seat, and we look forward to having many, many of you there. People are coming from all over the world, and we hope that you'll plan to join us there. Now, let's look at Psalm 37. And today we're looking at verses 27 and following. Here's what it says. And remember, this is after that great paragraph that we looked at the last two days that talks about the steps of a good man, talks about how the Lord doesn't forsake the righteous, talks about how the children of the godly man is blessed simply by virtue of the fact that he is a godly man and he passes along his faith to the generations that come after him. So in verse 27, the Bible says, Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. So what we have here are several interesting things in this passage, but I want you to notice particularly the emphasis on forever and forevermore and the emphasis on preservation. Now, five times in those verses that I've just read, notably in verse 27, he talks about how that uh, the person who departs from evil and does good, will have a dwelling forevermore, hinting about heaven. Verse 28 uses the term preserved when it says that the saints of God are preserved and forever. So you can see here clearly that we're getting some forever concepts laid out here once again. In fact, verse 29 uses that same term, that the righteous dwell therein, again, a hint of heaven, forever. And then we see it again in verse 31, where it tells us that none of his steps shall slide, talking about his constancy and talking about how that what he has is going to be permanent and he's going to stay steady all along the way. So all of those things are laid out here. And that's why in this passage, I think we're looking at a concept that I'm just going to call the forever factor. Now, this appears many places in the Bible. It's not unique to Psalm 37. 
God makes his promises, and they are forever promises. God makes provision for us, and those provisions are forever. And whenever the Bible uses the term preserved here, talking about the saints, now, I know maybe some of you will say, well, that's the saints, but it's not us. Well, remember, when the Bible uses the term saints, it's not talking about some super-Christian that has been voted into the Hall of Fame. It's not talking about some super-Christian that has achieved some miraculous thing that's gotten everybody's attention. Anybody who is born again, you are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Bible terms, you are a saint. Now, I know we all like to think that a saint is somebody who never does anything wrong. Well, sometimes the saints are not entirely saintly in that they're not perfect, but at the same time, God gives us the status of a saint when we're born again. That term is used in the New Testament over and over again to reflect the fact that those who are saved in God's eyes, they are saints. So everybody that's saved is a saint. Just mark it down. That's Bible truth. That's the way it is with God. And uh, if you want to do things and uh, refer to things the way the Lord does, then uh, you're going to accept that as fact. In fact, let's just look at some of the evidence of that in Jude chapter number one, the only chapter actually of Jude, verse number one. Here's what it says. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus. You see here again, we have the concept of preservation. If you go to the Psalms, uh, not just this 37th chapter, but in chapter 40 and verse 11, the prayer is made, Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. So how are we preserved eternally? Well, it's not because we are able to perform in such saintly fashion. It's not because we are so great or because we are so good, but it's because of the loving kindness of God and the solid veracity of God's truth. The fact is, God makes it, God tells it, God declares it to be true, and because of that, we are solidly preserved. You may also want to look at Psalm 97 and verse number 10, where it says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. So again, the concept is preservation. What kind of preservation are we talking about? We're talking about forever preservation. That is laid out very clearly in the Word, and not only about the person who has come to Christ and who is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the Bible tells us that God preserves His Word forever. In Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, here's what it says, "...the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times." Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now listen, that's in the Bible. That's in the Word of God. He promises not only to preserve those who trust Him for salvation, but He also has promised to preserve His Word 
through every generation and to preserve it forever. So we look to the Bible, we look at his word, and we know that what he has given us, it was true a year ago, it was true a century ago, it was true a millennium ago. It is always true because it is absolutely the word of God that he has preserved on our behalf, and he will continue to do so. Now, I know a lot of people tinker with the Bible. They keep changing it. They keep coming out with new editions, new versions that somehow are supposed to explain everything in a greater way. And honestly, they have done so much damage in so doing. I mean, it's just been a horrible thing that has happened over the years. And whenever we look at the Bible, we don't need to be looking to try to change it or try to adjust it to Western culture or any other culture, but we need instead to believe that we have in our hands what it says it is. It is the Word of God. We have the oracles of God. We have the truth of God, and He has preserved it for us, and we can count on it. So this whole business of what God does forever, I mean, folks, look, this is so powerful a concept. You and I need to understand that God has given us the privilege of being his children, of having his word, and he is a preserver. He preserves us, and he preserves his word. Now, when we look at the verses that I read here a little bit ago, verse 27 basically tells us to make a choice and stick to it. When it says, like this, depart from evil and do good. Now, that's two choices. We need to leave the things of the devil alone leave the sinful lifestyle behind us and pick up on the principles of God's truth and God's word and the things that he tells us are right. And that's what we need to do. And when we do that, truly, we are going to know that there are good things coming. He tells us that we will dwell forever, talking about with him. And again, it's a hint of heaven. Now we get to verse 28. And the early part of that verse says, the Lord loveth judgment. Well, he's telling us there that he loves it when we do right. Uh, he does right himself. He makes good judgments, and he wants us to make good judgments, and he's just telling us that he loves it whenever we do things the way that things ought to be done. And how do we know how to do it? Well, we've got the Bible. We've got the Ten Commandments. We've got the book of Proverbs. We've got the epistles. We've got a lot of other things in the Bible that will guide us in coming to the right conclusions about all kinds of behavior and all kinds of things that we have to consider. So the Lord loves it when we do right. Now, you go on to read in that verse, the second part of it says, He forsakes not his saints. Now, what are we learning there? Well, it just tells us that he sticks with us. We come to him, we put our faith in him, we trust him, we really rely on him, and he sticks with us. He does not forsake us. The Bible says clearly, Jesus tells us he will not leave us at all. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 lays that out. And uh, the book of Hebrews tells us, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, the third part of that verse uses that term, preservation, telling us how that the Lord preserves us. He does stick with us. And then the last part of it says, the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. There's an impact that goes way beyond this generation. It goes to the next generation and the next. And whenever 
a person decides to leave God out of their life, they decide to be an atheist or an agnostic or in whatever way they describe themselves, but they're leaving God out of the picture. It brings condemnation upon them. And listen, they'll pass that along to the next generation. It doesn't mean that the next generation couldn't make their way out of that. It doesn't mean that that next generation could not come to Christ and be saved. But what it does mean is in the long run, and in most cases, when a person builds their family, builds their marriage, builds everything in their life around atheism, they will pass it along to the next generation who will pass it along to the next. And the seed, meaning the offspring of the wicked, they're going to be cut off from all of this. They're not going to have the blessing of God. They're not going to have the home in heaven. They're not going to have the preservation that is promised here. They're not going to see long-term the sweet, precious things that come to those who know the Lord and to those who will indeed have the foreverness, the forever promise made clear and direct to them. God lays all of this out. The impact of the wicked goes far beyond this generation. Now, it's necessary that we stop here in a minute, but uh, there are some more things here in this passage that I'll pick up on tomorrow, and we'll look at it carefully because the details of this, I mean, it's exciting when you contemplate that we have forever promises. When you realize that there is a factor that God puts in place here that is applicable to me, to you, to everybody who will come to the Lord, who will trust Him, who will receive Him as Savior, we have that promise. And of course, His Word is available to everybody. We look at His Word and we say, hey, God preserved that. So we have these two great forever factors, and they're things that I hope you'll lay hold of and make real in your own life. Well, listen. Do write me a note. I'd love to hear from you. I'm appreciative of every letter, every email that we get. Write to me, Dr. Shelton Smith, at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com. Listen, we look forward to being back here again tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. Have a good rest of the day, and goodbye for now.